It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day. Please won't you be my neighbor? We want you up there on that screen in the next few weeks. Hey, you recognize that sound? Some, if you're of a certain age, of course you do. Um, if not, this is a, an American children's television show invented in the 1960s. It lasted forever by a guy named Fred Rogers. The show is called Mr. Rogers. <clears throat> I think he should sort of be a patron saint for us here at UPC. Um, I, I, because of your generosity, I'm getting lots of Mr. Rogers swag. Brian, can you hold up the mug there? I've got this mug. I meant to bring it up. His, when you put hot stuff in there, his sweater, his jacket comes off and his sweater comes on. Uh, thank you for that gift. I've got in my pocket here, I've got Encourage Mints with Fred Rogers, which you can't see, but this is a, and then uh, um, I've, oh yeah, I have, I have Fred Rogers socks. Can you see that? Pretty classy stuff. So yeah, I think he should be a patron saint for us here at UPC, right? Because he's all about uh, neighborhoods. Do you know he's a Christian and uh, actually a Presbyterian minister? Apparently Fred Rogers had a favorite number. It was, does anyone know? Oh, someone said it, 143. Very good. Wow. Yeah, you know, so 143 was his favorite number. Do you know why? He says one, because it takes one letter to say I, and four, because it takes four letters to say love, and three, because it takes three letters to say you. I love you, 143. Pretty cool. Slate.com recently wrote that... Uh, Mr. Rogers is one of the, quote, most radical figures of contemporary history. And this, I like this. He never ran a country or led a battle. He became a legend by wearing a cardigan and taking off his shoes. I say let the revolution begin, right? <laughs> Mr. Rogers, he should be our patron saint. I know we're not supposed to have patron saints, but anyways, he would be mine. And so uh, that's why we played that music. But we're beginning a new series today. And we're going to talk about, it's called Next Door. It's a continuation, really, of what we were doing last spring. Last spring, we focused on the neighborhoods that we're called to all around Seattle. Pretty cool. And uh, we've got more work to do. This fall, we're going to talk about the circles uh, that we're in as we go to those neighborhoods, because we don't go alone. And that's the point of the series. I really want you to get, every week, we're going to talk about a different way. What does it mean to be a circle of friends around Jesus Christ, not to go alone? It just is why you're saying that beautiful song, we need uh, one another. And that's what St. Paul teaches, the Apostle Paul. And so let's pull out our Bible and begin with him. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 21. We're going to kind of cut, cut off in the middle of the paragraph there. Uh, if you're able, um, please stand. And uh, you'll find this, by the way, on page 933 of the Pew Bible, the black book on the rack in front. Let's stand because we want to honor Jesus as we read his word about him. He's the subject of, of every sentence in this whole book. And so we honor him by standing and we're going to read aloud. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it or are coming to believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Verse 14. 
Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. I have no need of you. Boy, if there were ever a sentiment that summed up our age. I have no need of you. By the way, I did the math on this. I'm an English major, but I can count letters. That's 143,423. Fred would be proud, right? I have no need of you. 143. 142-423. Recently, a man told me uh, he'd just been to uh, Namibia in Africa. And he said, that, George, we went into this village and somebody said, we have cancer. And he said, I was confused by that. I said, you have cancer? And they said, yes, we have cancer. He said, George, it took me three days moving through that village to, to finally identify the one person who was actually sick. But in Namibia, in a village, they said, we have cancer. I mean, that's the way they think about themselves. That, that's the way they, they think about health. If, if we don't all have it, we're unhealthy. See, see what, what they were is they were a, a, a circle that belonged to one another, in this series, what I want to encourage us to do is to get closer to that. There's a mindset shift that we need to undertake at UPC and I would argue in our whole culture from me to we. And they had made that shift, or at least they didn't have to leave it because they were there at we. We have cancer. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in the words that you and I just read. He's essentially saying, I am not fully me without you. And you are not fully you without me. I'm not just a me. You're not just a me. We are a we. We belong to one another because we belong to him. An I without a body, can't see anything. A hand without a body cannot hold anything. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you see your hand on the sidewalk, don't keep walking, please. You need that. If, if you're an eye and you're sitting on the sidewalk and you see a body walk by, don't let it get by without you. A hand or an eye that is not connected to a body is losing biological vitality by the second. It is not sustainable. And you know what? Neither are we. 
when we are disconnected from one another, when we choose to live our lives as though we weren't a we and only a me. This is what the Apostle Paul says. You can say, I have no need of you, but that doesn't make it true. That just makes you wrong and in trouble. And this, is, this is the point. This is very challenging. But I think it's so important that we get this before we move ahead with our mission. I cannot say of you, I have no need of you, because I do. I need you. And you need me. And we're not going anywhere until we go together. And this is why we're talking about the way we're going to go on our mission is in circles of friends. Not one big circle with, you know, 2,000 people. In smaller circles where friendship becomes real and embodied. Now, why is this so important? Why do I keep harping on this? I know you've heard me talk about community in so many different ways over the last 11 years. The reason why, this is what Paul is suggesting here, is because this is how we see Jesus. Let me try to substantiate that point. This is how we see Jesus. I'm, I'm going to argue here today that Jesus shows up in a circle of friends who belong to each other because they belong to him. That's where you're going to see him. See, you may be an eye, but it's not your eye. You may be a hand, but it's not your hand. It's his eye and his hand and his foot and his nose. And when you put those body parts together, then what do we see? Jesus. And this is amazing. I don't know how this works, but Paul calls this the body of Christ. He's writing to a circle of friends in Corinth, and he's referring to him as the body of Christ. And this is stunning. If you, I mean, if you've read the letter, we call it Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. You know who these people are. It's a tough letter. In this circle, these are very ordinary, very ordinary people. He says at the beginning, uh, not many of you were wise, not many of you are powerful, not many of you are of noble birth. They're remarkably ordinary. But when the world around you sees you, if you would know that you belong to one another and act as though you belong to one another, what they're going to see is Jesus. Not just you, but Jesus. This is what he got, the body of Christ. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, you understand this is a, this is a metaphor about the potential of your life and mine if we would get together and belong to one another, circle around Jesus with a level of intention that allows people to find their place in this circle, all of a sudden, pff, your neighbors start to see Jesus. What St. Paul wants is the same thing that St. John wants. Do you remember, we read this last spring, John 1:14, the word, that's God, became flesh, in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, and I like the way Eugene Peterson translates it, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood so that we could see him, flesh and blood. That's what God has done. And that's just what he does. And so Paul's saying, now he's saying, yeah, he did that. Paul understands that. But now what is he doing? The Word, God, is becoming visible now, not through an individual, Jesus Christ. Paul knows he's at the right hand of the Father, but he becomes visible in the neighborhood. God moves into the neighborhood through a circle of friends who circle around Jesus Christ. He's the body, you're the body of Christ now as you move out into the neighborhood. God's still doing what he started in Jesus Christ. And he's doing it in Seattle. And he's doing it through us. Jesus shows up. 
in a circle of friends who belong to each other because they belong to him. And this is how we see Jesus. Not in a me, not in a me, but in a we. I mean, in essence, you say you're, you're kind of like a pixel in a larger image or like a pane in a stained glass window. It's only when we're together that then the image of Christ begins to emerge with full color and definition. So I, I just wonder this morning, I wonder if, about you, I wonder if it hasn't been your experience that, that you've gotten glimpses of Jesus in your past through a circle of friends. Think for just a minute about where Jesus has become tangible for you. I know this has been the case for me, that this is where I've seen Jesus in a circle of friends. When I was a university student, I know two centuries ago, uh, I was on the crew. You know, and rowing was everything for me. I was small. I was heavyweight, believe it or not, but I was on the crew. And if you wanted to share something about Jesus with me, you needed to get really close to the crew. Actually, if you weren't in that orbit, you probably didn't have access to me at all because crew is everything. And I, I, I lived and breathed and ate rowing. You know what that's like because of the schedule of that in that sport. And, uh, and yet, God had placed, sovereignly placed, a group of Christians on the crew. I'm so thankful for that. And they had a sense of mission. They reached out to me. They said, George, will you come to church? They said, will you come to Athletes in Action? Will you, will you come to this small group? And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I have no need of you. See, that was what I said, and I, I was actually afraid of them because I, was, I, was, I had them on a pedestal. And my, my life was devastating at that point. I won't describe to you the, the, uh, where I was living and what my life was like because I like the way you see me now. But I, I, at that time, I felt so far away from God. I actually felt so far away from anybody. And yet God allowed these men, they were men, to circle me into community with them. And I remember, like it was yesterday, one of the guys in that group had a great sense of humor. He was such a cut-up. Another guy was really gentle and sensitive, kind. Another guy was really wise. He's just brilliant, intelligent. Another guy was super bold to the point of folly, I thought. But it's, now, looking back at it, I realized that what I was seeing was Jesus in that circle, I was seeing the humor of Jesus. I was seeing the gentleness of Jesus. I was seeing the intelligence of Jesus. I was seeing the boldness of Jesus. I, he became visible for me, not in any one individual, but in the way that they circled around Jesus together, and it changed my life. I wouldn't be here without that circle of friends and, and other circles as well over the years. I wonder if that's where Benny, and I'm changing the names in this story, saw Jesus in a circle of friends. Uh, not long ago, one of our intergenerational mission trips down to Mexico, you know, where you go and build a house, uh, formed a new circle. Just the people on the team became a circle. They, they, on mission for a week, they were circling around Jesus together, and they loved it so much that when they came back here, they couldn't stop circling around Jesus. And um, Benny met one of the members of this circle at Little League, he was sitting in the bleachers, and uh, one of the UPCers was sitting in the bleachers next to each other as they watched their boys play baseball together, and they got talking. And our member learned that Benny was struggling, that life was hard for him. He had an autistic child. His marriage had broken apart. Uh, he got a discharge from the military that was less 
than honorable. And uh, this member from the Mexico mission team started to um, help him. Actually, the day that he met him, gave him a ride home because Benny had walked a long ways to get to that baseball practice. And other members of the circle would, would, would hear about Benny and pray for Benny and start bumping into Benny. Like one time at Costco, uh, one saw Benny there sitting at the door with a sign that said, need help. And they did. They sat with him and they helped him. And, and another ran into Benny at Bartels with the same sign, and, and they helped. And pretty soon they started pooling financial resources and helping uh, financially. Benny had these kids, and he's working real hard at night to support them, to love them, to care for them. They walked with Benny as he uh, approached the military branch that he had uh, resigned from, and they got his discharge changed to honorable discharge. They walked with him as he got now resources from the VA to get housing he could afford. They helped him furnish his housing, the different members of this circle. And, and one day someone was saying, you know, Benny, we're praying for you. And he said, I know it. I know it because I've seen your love. That was the, his words were, I've seen it. Pretty interesting. Jesus was starting to show up through a circle just like you. That's where Mr. Rogers saw Jesus as well, in a circle. Do you remember uh, the puppets in Mr. Rogers? We have a picture of this. He had these uh, alter egos, these characters that showed up in the neighborhood of make-believe. Um, what biographers tell us is that um, most of these were like just alter egos of Fred himself. Uh, kind of interesting. They, they had fun names like uh, Lady Elaine, Fairchild, King Friday, Daniel the Striped Tiger, X the Owl. And apparently they were um, named for people in his life. These were the actual people that he circled with, that loved him and that he loved and with whom he lived his life. These people uh, were where he experienced love. And the point is that Mr. Rogers never went into his neighborhood alone. He always went with this little crew. I mean, we were the neighborhood, right? But he always came with this little circle where we could see what love looked like in an authentic way through these characters. He had a we. These puppets allowed him to have a we. And there's an interesting illustration here, I think, for me. If you think about what the biographers say, that each of these were really just reflections of a different aspect of Fred's Character. I mean, Daniel was an anxious character, and the owl was a curious character. And the biographers tell us, well, these all just reflected the anxiety that Fred experienced or the curiosity that Fred experienced, you know, the bossiness of Fred Rogers. He was just in his puppets. And think about now what Paul's saying. That's exactly what Paul's saying, right? You, you, you know, he's saying the world sees. They don't see Jesus, but they do see you, but Jesus is in you. And when you see this circle, then you start to see Jesus emerging. And in the neighborhood of make-believe, it's not so much you see the physical Mr. Rogers, but in these puppets, you get a sense of who Mr. Rogers is. And, and even though they call it the uh, neighborhood of make-believe, it turns out that the one thing that's realer than anything else in that whole neighborhood is Mr. Rogers, who chooses to make himself known through this collective of puppets. And in the mystery of God, he, he's chosen to do the same thing through us or through any 
uh, a group of followers who will circle around him with one another. What I'm saying is that Jesus shows up in a circle of friends who belong to each other because they belong to him. And I believe this, this is the strategy of Jesus to change the world. He says so, doesn't he? Remember what he says in the upper room? He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is how they're going to know that this crazy story we tell about an invisible friend is true. How? That you love one another. This is how they're going to know it. It's true. This is how they're going to know it's real. They're not going to read it in a book. They're not going to see it in a movie. They're going to see it in a flesh and blood community of followers who have a love for one another that's so authentic, it manifests my presence in their midst. This is his, this is his strategy, to change the world. And, and we're committed to it here at UPC. That's why we have four tons of limestone built into the wall. This is the most sacred space of UPC. And, so, and somewhere along the way in the 1950s, they go, we want to put Jesus' circle of friends in stone so that we never forget his mission strategy, so that we never forget how it is we go from this place to make his impact, his impression on the world. It, this is a circle that belongs. By the way, let's just stay with this little stone thing for a second and look at it. Make three observations. This is Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. It's the Last Supper. He's gathered with his 12. First of all, notice this. Notice the world into which he sends this circle of love. You and I would recognize this world. You read the Gospel of John. This is a world that's uh, driven by racism. This is a world where women are pushed to the margin. This is a woman where power is abused, where religion becomes toxic. This is a world of division. I mean, this is a world of violence. Jesus is about to die. No, this is the world that you and I recognize. Jesus isn't naive as he sends this group out. He has, uh, this is, notice secondly, the kind of love that's at that table. This is not a gooey, sentimental love. By the way, be careful about sentimentality when we talk about Jesus. Flannery O'Connor said, sentimentality is to Christianity as pornography is to art. I like that. Sentimentality is to Christianity as pornography is to art. It's not the real thing. Just a close approximate, a fake. And this is not sentimental love. Jesus has just wrapped a towel around his uh, waist and washed their feet. Jesus has invited his betrayer to come and break bread with him. He's loving his betrayer. Jesus is about to die on the cross. And that is a picture of God's unconditional and sacrificial love, as real as it gets. And then third, notice who we're to love. It's, it, Jesus doesn't say, by this all men will know that you're, that you're my disciples, if you love me. Because piety will never change the world. He's not saying, I mean, that's good to love Jesus, of course. But, but that's not what he's talking about. Here's his mission strategy, if you love me. No, piety's not going to change the world. And, and he doesn't say, if you love everyone. And because idealism will not change the world. Some abstract concept that, yeah, I just love everybody. He does, that's not his mission strategy. I mean, that's good, but that's not his mission strategy. His mission strategy is this. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not one, not each other, one another. That's at least three. That's a circle of friends. 
Oh, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, hey, Peter, come and have a little one-on-one time with me, will you? No, Jesus doesn't say to John, hey, John, forget Thomas. This is about you and me. Jesus doesn't say to Andrew, hey, Andrew, I want you to get out there on your own. No, he calls them together. They walk together. They live together. They eat together. They sleep together. And then he sends them together. That's what we see in the book of Acts, these spiraling circles of friends wherever God calls them into existence, begin to give witness to Jesus through concrete love. So this is our strategy at UPC. Uh, We call it formational community. I know that's a mouthful. It sounds fancy. Formational community. You know, all we mean by that is what it means to be a healthy follower of Jesus. Our elders, you know, the last few years have been praying fervently. They've been gathering input from you. We've been planning together. And last spring, we unveiled a new vision. I'm so excited about it. Take that book out again and just look at uh, page two. Would you open up to page two? Our mission statement is there. It would be a good thing to, to, to familiarize yourself. We are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors uh, at the University of Washington, that's, where, that's the, where it begins, in our neighborhoods, all of our neighborhoods, and all around the world. That's our mission statement. That's going to stick around. And we're working on it. We're operationalizing it now, just beginning to. But if you uh, also, the other thing is, our strategy is for missional community. This is mission the way Jesus does it. And here's how we define it. Formational community is a way of life and occurs when circles of friends live like family on mission for their neighbors, being formed as disciples in the process. Here's what it looks like. We've got a diagram, and I know you're not going to be able to see the words of this, but what we're trying to capture in this clunky term, formational community, is the three dynamics that have to always exist together in order to be what Jesus is about, And, and that is formation as disciples and mission for neighbors and community like family. Formation and mission and community. Formation on mission in community. That's why we call it four missional communities, to remind ourselves that all three of those things have to happen. You're living in the sweet spot of those dynamics, in the sweet spot of four missional community, when your circle of friends is right there at the heart of that, as a way of life, as an experience. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So over the next few weeks, I want to unpack what it means to be a circle of friend in this way to circle around Jesus as a formational community. By the way, please be sure you're here on October 27th, five weeks from now, because we're going to experience church in a way you have never experienced it before, uh, I promise you. Big day for us, October 22nd. Friends, we are moving from me to we. Right? Are you ready for that? Moving from me to we. This is so important. And I'm so passionate about this. For 11 years, I've been harping on this and hawking small groups. And we've got a great small group ministry. I mean, Jesus has done amazing things through this massive network of small groups that are all around Puget Sound that represents your ministry. Countless people have come to know Jesus. And we're going to continue to do that. If you're not yet in a circle of friends here at UPC, I hope you will not let, miss the opportunity this fall to jump into one. Small group, formational community. We want to help you in that process over the next Uh, several weeks. We have cancer. That's what they said in Namibia. We have cancer. 
if you think about it, it's true for us too, right? I mean, let's be honest. You don't need anybody to persuade you that we all are broken in one way or another. When you and I walked through this door this morning, we came as sinners. And you know what? I hate to disappoint you. When we walk through that door and we leave, we're all going to leave as sinners. They, that's who they were in Corinth. They weren't saints. They were sinners. You know what they had in their circle? They had incest, lawsuits, prostitution, divisions, partisanship. They had all of that. We got, you know, we got that too. But what they also had was the cross of Jesus. And we've got that too. And that's the important thing to have. That's why the Apostle Paul said, when I came, I came to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the cross that gathers them. It's not their vice. It's not their virtue. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians calls, he says, the message of the cross is the power of God for salvation. Yeah, we have cancer, but we have salvation we have salvation. We have salvation. That's why we're moving from me to we, because we're circling around the one who has the power of salvation and the cross. We're circling around Jesus Christ. While you were yet sinners, Paul says, Christ died for you. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. Friends, this is the good news. God holds you this morning with an unconditional, sacrificial love. And that changes everything. That brings salvation. Look, you don't have to let your cancer kill you. It already killed him. That's why he came. That's why he died. So that if you today join me and the rest of us in coming to the cross of Jesus and meet him, you will have everlasting life. The power of the message of the cross will bring salvation to your life that will begin to unfold everything that you've ever dreamed of and more in Jesus Christ. This is what we have. Because your me just became a we. And now you belong. Oxford fellow Austin Ferris said, we are all members of one another, and one of us is Jesus Christ. Well, I, I want to ask you to join me in committing to 143 this fall. 143, would you? And I want to ask you to commit to making 143 flesh and bone in the neighborhoods of Seattle. Are you ready for that? Let me give Fred Rogers the opportunity to get the last word in this message. I'll close with his words. Here's what he says. I believe that at the center of the universe, there dwells a loving spirit who longs for all that's best in all of creation, a spirit who knows the great potential of each planet as well as each person, and little by little will love us into being more than we ever dreamed possible. That loving spirit would rather die than give up on any one of us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Gosh, as soon as I say that, I realize there it is. 
There's the circle. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the circle. Thank you that in the mystery of the universe, you decided to come and make yourself flesh and bones in our neighborhood that you could invite us into this circle. Now we pray that you'll blow forth the breath of heaven upon our circles that we might give this same invitation to our neighbors. In Christ's name we pray and for his sake, amen.